Well, good morning, friends. Very grateful to be here with you, and especially to our greenhouse kiddos and our Xamen students that are in the audience. I'm really glad you're here with us today. Here at Vox, we follow something called the lectionary, which is, if you've never heard of it, a simply a pre-selected rotation of scripture passages that repeat every three years. So churches all over the world focus on the same scriptures on Sundays. And it just so happens that I get to teach this morning from one of my very favorite passages today, because according to the lectionary, today is Good Shepherd Sunday. So in honor of the Good Shepherd, let's kick it off with this question. Turn to your neighbor and tell them a story about when you felt cared for in a community environment. It can be a church, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a classroom or a coffee shop or a biker bar, wherever you felt safe and loved. So tell a story of when you have felt really cared for to your neighbor. Real quick, I will share one of mine. Once upon a time, I was a high school English teacher, and I spent the summer after my first year of teaching babysitting this cute little six-month-old. And just before the summer came to an end, that little cutie gave me mono. And I was scary sick, and I was at real risk of hospitalization. So of course, that is when I got a call from my principal who informed me that they had decided to move me into a different classroom. The custodial staff had taken every single thing from my original room and dumped it in a pile in the center of this new room. But I was under strict orders not to overexert myself because I could burst my spleen. <laughs> so this was not great news for me. But four of my friends from college drove more than an hour each from three different towns to join us in inner city Chicago, where they spent their Saturday moving bookshelves, desks, computers, and box upon box upon box of books and supplies, all while I sat in a chair with a fever and feebly pointed to where things should go. The whole thing was excruciating and embarrassing, and so accomplishing this task also meant a fair amount of yelling at me to sit back down. But I did stay out of the hospital, and I did start that school year on time. And when I think about that day, it feels like church. Or maybe I should say, it feels like what I hope for when I think about church, a community that really, truly shows up for one another. And since today is Good Shepherd Sunday, we'll be sitting in one of the most famous shepherding texts, which is John 10. This is the passage where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. And it's possible that you've heard these words so many times that it's hard to experience them with fresh eyes. But I want us to really think this morning about what it means that we have a God who shepherds us and who has asked the church, that's us, to continue that work in the world. So just a bit ago, Justine read us the first six verses of John 10. And when you start here, it sounds like Jesus is waxing eloquent about shepherding, like he was looking around like, hmm, what should I say to these people who have gathered? And then maybe saw some sheep on a hill. But Jesus is not spontaneously giving this speech. There is context to consider here. 
Because John 10 takes on a whole new dimension when we connect it with the previous chapter. In John 9, we hear the story of the time that Jesus healed the man who had been born blind. Famously, he does this by making mud with his own spit and rubbing it on that man's eyes and instructing him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And we've actually had this come up in sermons recently. So the man does this strange thing. And while he's doing it, maybe he's grumbling and frustrated. Like, this is not the help I envisioned. (laughs) Or maybe he's giddy and hopeful. But as he felt his way towards the pool, it must have felt vulnerable and just a little absurd. Maybe he's bracing himself, afraid that once again he'll be the butt of the joke. But when he's finished watching, washing, two things have happened. The first is that he can see. And the second is that Jesus is gone. <laughs> but boy, everyone else is very fascinated. Do you remember the opening scene from Disney's Beauty and the Beast where the whole town is singing about Belle? You can almost imagine that energy here as this strange but special story works its way through the crowd. People want to understand this weird thing that's happened, so they're asking the man where where Jesus went. But he really doesn't know because he was blind a minute ago. (laughs) Eventually, the chatter makes it all the way to Gaston. And by Gaston, I mean the Pharisees, obviously. Don't you think Gaston and the Pharisees have kind of the same energy? They're very impressed with themselves, and really anyone should be thankful for their attention, especially the outcast, right? Okay, this metaphor is going to break down real fast, so we're going to leave it there. But thanks for imagining John 9 the musical with me for a hot second. Anyway, this man had quite a day. He began his day as an object lesson. Even Jesus's disciples are walking past him asking, who sinned that this person is born blind? Was it him or his parents? You kind of can imagine the person sitting there going, dude, I'm right here. (laughs) He's part of the Jewish community. Um. Sorry, I lost my place. He's part of the Jewish community, but no one really sees him. He's used to people stepping around him without acknowledging him. And he's probably fairly resigned to this way of living. But Jesus did not step around him. He saw him. He stopped what he was doing, and he healed him. Now, this man who was born blind has never seen anything. Imagine how disorienting sight might be in that moment, how bright and maybe even painful the world might feel. And while he's still getting acclimated to sight, the townspeople drag him to the Pharisees. And what these religious rulers of the day see is primarily in relation to themselves. First, they hatch a plot. They think that he might be useful to them because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. And when it becomes clear that this man won't cooperate in that plot, they think instead that he might be harmful, that he might be a threat to to their power. Even his parents distance themselves. This incredible thing has happened to their son, and they can't even rejoice with him 
they're too afraid. So the Pharisees return to the man and they question him further. And he replies by asking them, why do you want to become his disciples? Now, when we read a story like this, we don't get the benefit of nonverbals and tone of voice. And it is possible that he is so thrilled with Jesus that he is just not quite reading the room. And he is asking this question in earnest. But when I read this story, I think he's getting a little irritated at this point, and he is using tone and sarcasm to make his point. He has experienced a miraculous healing, but both the doctor and the patient seem to be treated as criminals. And the Pharisees respond to that question just about as well as you would expect. The text says they reviled him and that they drove him out. What a roller coaster this man has been on today. Can you imagine walking out from this, cast out of your community, not sure where you stand with your parents, and looking out over a town that you have never really seen before today? He started the day as an object lesson, but he ends the day with overwhelming possibilities. But he's been abandoned by his community. But not for long, because Jesus hears what has happened and invites him into his. He comes and he finds this man. And in their conversation, Jesus is explaining that this is actually a story about perception, about who has it and who doesn't. And then Jesus says this cryptic thing. He says, he's here in the world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And even though they've disowned this man, the Pharisees are still milling about, trying to get the upper hand on Jesus, and they hear this thing that Jesus has said, and they realize, wait a minute, is he talking about us? And Jesus answers them directly, and he does not mince words. Basically, he tells them they are the blind ones. And it's after this that we step into John 10. It's important to note that these chapter breaks were added after the original text was written and shared. So what may seem like the beginning of a new idea is sometimes simply the next line in the story. And when we begin chapter 10, Jesus is still talking to this crowd, and he's intentionally still talking to the Pharisees. And if you think they are offended now, just wait, because he's about to call them thieves and bandits. You see, he's telling the crowd one story, the story of what a good shepherd looks like. But to the Pharisees, he's saying something different. He is showing them that they are not that. But they don't quite get it, so he continues. He says, I am the gate. I care about the lives of the sheep. The subtext here is, look at this man. His life was drastically changed for the better. I brought him to the good pasture, to abundance. And all you care about is how you can use him. The religious people of that day offered abundance but what they actually gave was scarcity. 
And perhaps that is why he is calling them thieves. And in case his point is still not quite clear, he goes even further. He just hits it home. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And at this point, he's telling the crowd two things. He's saying, I am the shepherd. It's me. I know you and you matter to me. But he is also drawing a stark comparison with the Pharisees. This community has watched them spend their whole day up in arms about this Sabbath healing. They've watched them kick out this healed man. And right on the backdrop of that, Jesus is saying, you should matter to your leaders. They should be spending their lives on your behalf. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees don't look powerful. They look petty. We come right out of the story about blindness into a story about what makes a good shepherd. And the picture he paints is about perception, about knowing and being known. And he's essentially putting a choice before the crowd. He is saying, you can keep your place in the status quo, but it does not care about you. You deserve leaders and community where you can be known and loved and healed and celebrated. I just really love these two chapters. So what is Jesus saying to us here at Vox this morning, all these years later through this text? Well, first of all, he is still telling us about his love for us. He is still painting a picture that says, I know you and you are so important to me. He is saying, I know your name. He knows who you are. Religion might say, how are your gifts useful to us? How can we use you? But Jesus says, I see you for you. You are a whole person to me. You were worthy of love and healing before you did a single thing with your life. Jesus says that he is the gate for the sheep. And three verses later, he says that he is the shepherd. And that has always confused me. Like, are you switching mid Mid-sentence here, Jesus. But you know what I found out this week? I learned that often sheep enclosures didn't have gates. They had walls and then there was this little opening. And so the shepherd would lay down in front of the gate, of the opening, and the shepherd would become the gate, right? The sheep would stay inside because they didn't want to trample their shepherd, and he would be their first line of defense against any threat. Jesus is saying, when you are in danger, I'll be the first to know. I've got you. And of course, he says that he came so that we might have life. And not just regular old life, but abundance, vision. He'll come and find us when we are stuck or when we've been cast out, and he will invite us into a better story every day. So as we celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday, I want to bring up just a few practices that we might incorporate this week. And the first one is this. Could you find some space this week to spend time with the Good Shepherd and ask the Holy Spirit to help you experience the joy of being seen and known by God? It's a simple ask, but it's a powerful one. 
Now, this passage does offer us so much about the good shepherd and how he sees and knows us, but there is another side to this. Because for every time that Jesus talks about how the shepherd knows the sheep, he counters it with how they know him too. Take a moment to contrast that again with the story of the man born blind and the religious teachers in his community. They didn't know him, and there was certainly no way for him to know them. They may have been powerful and impressive, but they were set apart and intimidating, and Jesus is doing something very different with his people. He says the sheep know his voice, and that's how they know they're safe. They interact with him in an entirely different way than they do with strangers. And I will tell you, I have seen my own version of this. Our son Jack has a great dog, Cap, and on occasion I'll be walking him and then Jack will get home from wherever he's been and he'll come out to join us mid-walk. And there's this moment when Cap realizes that the person walking toward us is Jack and you better be holding on tight to that leash because he will nearly pull your arm out of the socket to get to him. He is running with this bouncy step and his tail is wagging like a million miles an hour. It's not just dogs and sheep that experience this though. Humans do too, although our moments of recognition may not result in as many viral videos. For me, it's when I'm at an awkward networking event and someone I know and love walks in and I breathe that sigh of relief. Or when I'm working at Stat House and my friend Abby is there and I hear them laughing. Or when Ben's car pulls up at the airport after a long trip. We know the people that we are safe with, right? So what is it like to know Jesus in this way? How do we actually get to know the voice of our shepherd? And I just want to offer up two simple practices that we can try this week. First, there is an obvious way that we can get to know the good shepherd. We can start to tune our station to the voice of Jesus by reading about him. A few years back, a friend of mine challenged our organization to read all four gospels in a month. And so that month, that was all I read, just the four gospels. And over the course of the month, I realized my faith experience was different and richer when I really zeroed in on the person of Jesus. As we familiarize ourselves with his story, we'll get a better sense of him. And from there, we'll recognize him in ways that we might have otherwise missed. And second, um, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. The place we really tend to get to know someone's voice is through conversation, right? Now, for many of us, when we think about praying, we think about speaking, of making sentences for God. We may be saying those words inside our head or out loud with our lips, but we are generally the communicator for many of us, the way that we grew up with prayer. Now, I grew up Catholic, and so Taking my first communion was a very big deal. I got to wear this gorgeous dress with a real veil, and every kid had to make a fancy banner. I mean, dress up and arts and crafts, I was sold. In fact, you could probably win me over right now with that very scenario. But to take the Eucharist for the first time, kids had to consistently attend CCD, which was just Sunday school on Wednesday night. And in CCD, I learned not to hit my brother, never to wear my rosary as a necklace, 
and how to recite prayers that I didn't understand. (laughs) I was a precocious kid who wanted to understand, though, which really frustrated my teacher, who told me to just learn the words and that I would grow into the meaning. I'm not saying this is everyone's experience in CCD. I'm just saying that I learned to recite the act of contrition in second grade, and I learned what the word contrition meant in my sophomore year of high school, the state of being remorseful. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying words to God, though I do think actually understanding those words is a plus. But Jesus himself taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, which we recite together every Sunday, And talking to God helps us process. It strengthens our connection to Him, and it gives us an opportunity to ask God for what we need and what we hope for. But we can also use prayer to get to know the voice of the shepherd, especially if we pause to listen, even if it feels a little weird. And I want to be careful here because people hear God in different ways. But while we are trying to discern his voice, how we will hear him, it helps to make space to sit with him in silence. Occasionally, Vox offers contemplative prayer workshops, and I have found that this can be a great way to dip your toe into silence with God. But we can also just start small. We can say to God, I'm listening, and just carve out a few minutes to tune in. And in those moments, we might hear something specific, or we might simply have a sense of how much we're known and loved, or we might find some clarity. So our second practice is this. Find some time this week and invest in knowing Jesus by reading a gospel or by engaging in listening prayer. And lastly, yes, this is absolutely a text about how we can know and be known by Jesus. But It is also a text about how we are called to care for people. It's a not-so-thinly-veiled critique of the religious culture of the day, so when we sit with this passage, we cannot miss the message here for us, the church, the body of Christ. To truly create communities that care well for people, we have to strive to be like Jesus. Famously, C.S. Lewis said that Christians are called to be little Christs we can become little good shepherds. We are called to interact with people, not just in regards to how they affect us, but as whole people. And to do this, we need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see one another the way that Jesus sees us so that we can shepherd each other towards abundance. If the shepherd has helped us to find the greener pastures, then we can become shepherds that invite others to join us there. We can live a story that people want to be part of, and then we can be wildly inclusive, inviting people into a community that will bring them life instead of harm. So the last practice is this, just to ask Jesus to give you eyes to see so that you can live the church in the communities that you are in. Now, as we close our time together today, I would love to pray another great shepherding text with you, which is Psalm 23. And I'd love to pray it together as a community. So will you pray with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare, (laughs) they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen.